right, open up your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. I'm reading from the never actually spoken Bible, so if it's hard to follow along, that's why. 18 to 25, Matthew chapter 1. I'll read it out. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. So you've all read this before, and this is just a classic boy meets girl story. Single Jewish man in his 20s fancies a girl around 13 years old and says, hey, let's get married. So uh, they become betrothed. And what that means is they essentially make their vows, they become husband and wife, but then they have this really long waiting period in which he goes away and makes a home for her, and then she rejoins him. There's a big wedding feast. Everyone parties. Um, lots of wine. Hardly anybody's sober. It's super Christian. And, uh, and they kind of, and they consummate. And so that's kind of the fulfillment of the vows. <clears throat> and so you have this kind of waiting game. And this is the point of story that we're dropped in with Joseph and Mary. But we read that in between the betrothal and the super big party, Mary gets pregnant. And so Jews have some laws about what to expect when you're expecting. And so when a woman gets pregnant and it doesn't belong to her husband, she is guilty of adultery under the law. So Joseph knows the baby ain't his. Mary knows the baby isn't his. And so he's in a bit of a pickle. So Joseph has a decision to make. So he decides that him and Mary need to have a DTR to find the relationship. And under Jewish custom, he has two options. Um, the law requires him to divorce her because her, her, her guilt is punishable by death. And so he has two ways he can go about this. He can divorce her uh, publicly in an open court and shame her and her family. Or he can divorce her privately with just some close friends and family. Do it subtly and just part ways. So Joseph, because he loved Mary and because he was an honorable man, decided to divorce her privately. 
He wanted to save her from public shame. But before he could do this, an angel of the Lord uh, appeared and gave him a, a PM, a private message. <laughs> and came to him and said, uh, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. You'll have a son named Emmanuel. He'll save the world. And, and the, the message goes on. But what's striking about this message from the angel is two things that really stood out to me. The first is he said, do not be afraid. And the second, he said, is take Mary as your wife. And, and why the do not be afraid is so um, important isn't just because an angel appeared to him and he was a little freaked out, as most people are when they encounter angels in the Bible, but that to take Mary as his wife would mean he would take on her shame. It means he would bear her guilt. Because according to Jewish law, if, a woman who's, if you sleep with a woman who's committed adultery, you've now committed adultery. So what the angel is asking Joseph to do is say, despite the shame you may endure, take Mary as your wife. Take on her shame. Take her guilt and cover her. Make her your wife. Make this baby legitimate even though it's not your own. And so Joseph isn't afraid or at least decides not to act on his fear. He decides to have faith. And he takes Mary as his wife. So time passes. She gives birth to Jesus. And what's even more amazing about Joseph's treatment to his wife is that in the time between her pregnancy and giving birth, he decides not to sleep with her. And by making that choice, he does something. He proves her purity. There was a custom in this day that at the wedding feast, when the relationship was consummated, the man and wife would <clears throat> enjoy each other's company for the first time, and a sheet would be stained. And the father-in-law, the father of the bride, would keep that sheet, and it would prove that she was a virgin and that the husband could never divorce her. And so by not sleeping with his wife, he maintained, he proved her purity when maybe no one else would have believed her. He covered her. And the second thing he did, and I, I, this is shocking to me, he gave Jesus legitimacy. Maybe that's not the right word, but Joseph was a descendant of David. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And by Joseph taking Mary as his wife and Jesus as his son, it meant that the Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled and Jesus would come from the line of David. Joseph took on Mary's shame, covered her in her purity, and gave Jesus an inheritance. It's shocking. It's, it's humbling. It's powerful. And so what I find so convicting, hope-filled, powerful about this story is that in the very birth of Jesus, he's demonstrating the Father's plan for all time. You see, like 
Joseph, God made a vow to you and I. And like Joseph, he never broke that vow. Like Mary, you and I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwelling Mary and impregnating her is, is a picture, it's a mirror of the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of us and giving us new life. Like Joseph, Jesus made you pure. As Joseph covered the purity of his wife until the day they would be reunited in the presence of many, he made her pure. This is what Jesus did for you and I when he was born of a virgin, lived the life we could never live, died the death we could never die to guarantee our forgiveness and salvation. From birth to death, Jesus modeled his servant leadership, wiping away our guilt and shame. Like Joseph, Jesus, through faith, gives us an inheritance. Joseph's faith in the message of the angel meant that Jesus would fulfill prophecy and be in the line of David. When you and I have faith that Jesus is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, died and rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven, you and I are sons and daughters of Abraham. We receive an inheritance because of our faith in Jesus, the way Jesus received an inheritance because of Joseph's faith in God. The Jews were waiting for a Messiah who would forgive them of their sins. And he came in a way they didn't expect. You and I now live after the fact. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rode again, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're free. You're saved. But we wait with a different expectation. They waited to be free of their guilt. I think you and I are waiting to be free of our shame. You see, while the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we still have a flesh. And we don't always live righteously. And even though God sent the Spirit in his absence to fill us and indwell in us, that we would live in the kingdom until his return, we don't always do that. The expectation, the anticipation you and I have this Christmas season is that when Jesus returns once again, all shame will be gone. When sin is dealt with, there will be no shame. When your sin has been judged and you found pure in the name of Jesus, all shame will be gone. Your guilt is gone, your shame isn't. We're living that out. It's humbling, it's hard. But God gave us his spirit to give us new life the way the Holy Spirit gave new life to Mary. And so what I want to say to you tonight, ultimately, is that if you do not understand in your mind, if you do not believe in your heart if you've not experienced with your person that Jesus forgave you of your sins, fulfilled numerous prophecies, 
lived and died a way we never could for our sake and out of love for his father. If you don't know and believe and have that forgiveness, tonight is your night. Tonight is your night to know you're forgiven. Come and trade in for a better master. Come and have a better savior tonight than yourself, than the Christmas season, than gifts, than whatever. Come and be saved. Come and find your forgiveness tonight. Don't ignore the conviction in your heart, the hope in your mind. That's the Holy Spirit wanting to give you new life. Repent and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord tonight. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, if you call him Lord, then you understand this tension of living righteously. And you understand that we're living in anticipation of our shame being gone. So I say to you, repent for your unrighteousness. Remember that we are waiting for the day when Jesus returns to rid all sin from this earth and our mortal bodies. That we may experience a righteous way of living without conflict, without contradiction, without sin. Come here tonight and and repent and decide to live in the new life. Turn to the new life that Jesus gave you through his Holy Spirit. And remember why you decided to follow him. And remember why it's important that you live righteously. And what he's called you to. And the sacrifice he paid so that you could have that life. Can I have the worship team come up? Greg is going to lead us through communion. And those who are distributing the elements, please begin now. We have a, a fascinating Sunday because uh, Paul is explained to us to us how Jesus was was born in shame, and then we are now going to be celebrating communion, which takes us to the end of Jesus's life, and listen to what's said about that. It says uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. We have a, uh, a Savior who began his life in shame and ended his life in shame for our honor. To be able to give to us a gift of honor and dignity to lift off of us not just our guilt, but the embarrassment for our sin, that he somehow absorbed the shame so that we could walk in honor. When I was first uh, kind of interning as a pastor, my, uh, my mentor, uh, Patty Duclos, would, would cover things. And um, we call, he called it running interference. I remember this one time I preached a sermon. I thought it was really clever. It was a sermon, uh, Easter sermon. And I entitled the sermon Life Swapping. That was a really clever play on words. <laughs> and uh, super inappropriate. And, uh, and I thought, 
you know, and a bunch of people complained, and he absorbed that and was kind and supportive of me. He didn't come and say, all these people have complained and I've lined them up and they're now here to all accuse you of this embarrassing thing that you did. He absorbed it. And by the time it got through him to me, it was just an encouragement in how to live in a more godly way. What we have in Jesus is somebody who from birth, that Paul just explained, to death, absorbs our embarrassments absorbs all that is dishonorable about us so that when his face is turned towards us, he just treats us with honor and dignity and calls us his brothers. What you are holding in your hand is a symbol not just of the forgiveness of sins, it's a symbol of God granting to you the honor that's due his name is now actually granted to you because he absorbed our shame. It's an amazing thought.